Praise God that his goodness continues to run after us. Praising God for that today. Surely. I love when the psalmist says, Surely his goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of our lives. And I will fear no evil, for God is with me. Today, as we walk through this journey of this race that's set before us, Jesus has some really hard words to say. Sometimes we don't like to hear the hard teachings of Jesus. And I know for me personally, as I walked through this study this week, it was good for me to have the Spirit examine my heart and say, Lord, is there any offensive way in me? Is there an area in my life that I need to readjust and, and to seek your forgiveness? And, and the truth is, this race that we're in, we're not called, hear me out, we have never been called to judge the race beside of us. We have our own race to run. And it's so easy for us to want to compare ourselves to see how horrible this guy's doing it or this gal is doing it. And if we spend all of our time worrying about the lanes beside us and we don't stay in our lane, then all we do is have this sideways energy. All we do is waste this energy and the enemy loves it. But the reality is, if we're not careful, we do it. Because we feel better about ourselves if we can compare ourselves to the failures of someone else. And somehow in our minds, our twisted minds, we believe that makes us further down the path. And the reality is it doesn't. And Jesus has some teaching today for us that we should not judge one another's races. That the race we have marked in front of us, I tell people all the time, I have so much work to do in my own lane, I don't have time for your lane. I just don't. I have a work that Christ is doing in me, and, and I'm hoping as I walk this journey that he continues to refine me, and I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling, and the sanctification process is taking place. Yet the truth is, we do look at those beside us. I'm a sports fan, and so I, I love watching the coaches, quarterbacks of the opposing team talk at the end of a game. And I enjoy seeing how the losing team coach talks and how the winning team coach talks. And you learn a lot about a person when that mic is placed in their mouth at the end of the game when they've lost. And so I often listen for the words. Do they get up there? Do the, does the coach or the quarterback or receiver or running back or defensive end or linebacker when they interview them, are they constantly looking at all the blown plays that the other team did and the, the bad calls that the ref had and, and that was a lucky catch. He caught it on top of his helmet. And had it not been for that, then we would have, we would have. And as he's spending all of his time, I, I appreciate when a coach walks up and says, they were the better team today. And you know what? We're going to go to the film room. We're going to try to be the best team next time we play. And we got some work to do. And it wasn't one play that changed the, 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 the direction of this game. There were 50 to 60 to 100 plays that took place. And we're going to try to improve on every play so that the next time we play, we give our best. And so anything else? <laughs> and what happens with that mindset is you stay in your lane. You work out your salvation, you work out your race, you run and examine your life, and you really don't have time to judge other lanes. Jesus has some hard words to say today. And my hope is this. This has been my prayer all week. It began with me. Lord, examine my heart. I pray as you hear this that automatically you don't say, I wish they were here to hear this. They should be here. I pray that you'll let the Spirit as Jeremy, Pastor Jeremy had, surrender, Lord, our lives, our hearts to you so that we can hear what Jesus has to say and that we run our race without judging other races. Grab your Bibles. We're going to go on a hard journey today and turn to Matthew chapter 7. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. 
Our ushers will put one in your hand. But turn to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6, and then we're going to unpack it and see how it applies to our lane and our race this year. Would you stand with me, and we'll read it out loud together. Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Let's read it out loud together. Ready, read. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. You may have a seat. Some pretty strong teaching here, and I'll begin by saying this. When you judge others, you open your life to be judged in the same fashion by God. Look again at what it says here in verse 1 and 2. Jesus said, not Jim, Jesus, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now think about it this way. Here's what Jesus is saying. The measure and the degree and the length and the effort and the energy that you put in judging someone else in their life and pointing out all their faults and telling everyone how they've done wrong and and letting the world know how horrible they are. All the effort and energy that you get out your microscope on them, Jesus will put on your life. To the measure that you judge, you will be judged by God. I love this translation that says this. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures and criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging back to you. So let me just pull away and and pull out what judging really means. And now help us understand Is there ever a time that we can have a judgment on something? Is there ever a time that we make judgment calls? What does it mean that we don't judge one another? Here's what I know. It does not mean that we can't make judgments. When you choose a school, when you choose a college, when you choose a place, you make a judgment call if it matches up best for your child or for you personally. When you do team evaluations as a coach, you judge the ability of the person that's trying out for the team. When you're on a jury and you have a case in front of you, you go back to the jury room and you take the evidence that was presented to you and you make a judgment call based on the evidence. We make judgments on productivity in the workplace. We say, well, that job there, that was done well, but that job wasn't. The product that you're releasing out to the community across the world, when it finally gets to its final inspection, you make a judgment call. Should we release this product based upon the tolerances that are there and the scale of excellence that we want on this? So we can make judgment calls. But here, the word takes on a meaning of judging that includes condemning the person. 
and making a negative conclusion about the person and then condemning them. Now let me pull away and say this. Jesus forbids it. Let me be clear. Jesus forbids it. Let me be clear. Jesus forbids it. Forbids it, forbids it, forbids it. It is sin. When you move into condemning and judging the motives. Let me move on and explain. We are not to judge the motives of others. Only God knows the hearts of people. We don't know the hearts of people. We can't see inside their hearts. We can make a judgment call on what they did, but not on why they did it. Have you ever had someone convincingly tell others, this is why you did something? Have you ever had someone in your past, they know the reason you did it was because of this motive. The reason those group of ladies did that and that group of men or that pastor or that ex or that preacher or that coach or that teacher or that husband or that wife or that daughter or son or friend or aunt or uncle. The re- I know what's underneath all that. No, you don't. In fact, the Bible says this in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond care or cure. Who can understand it? We can't even understand our own hearts. How in the world can we judge another person's heart? Only God can judge the motives of the heart. Here's what else I know about judgment. We are not to be fault finders. A person who finds much to criticize or complain about, no one likes a fault finder. It's the kid that you and I grew up with in school, and we can think of him. All they did was told the teacher on everything that you did. That kid grew up, and now he's an adult or she's an adult, and they do the same thing. Nitpicking is a deadly disease that turns us into cynics who expect the worst in others. This sin, and it is a sin because Jesus forbids it. Turn to the person beside you and say, Jesus forbids it. Now turn to the other person on the other side. Tell them, Jesus forbids it. Now that you've spoken it and you do it, it's sin. This comes from spiritual pride and often from envy in this race. You see someone that might be moving ahead. You don't like what's happening. And somehow you think that if they run their race better or differently, that somehow it makes you look less than them. I'm telling you, stay in your lane and don't worry about the other lanes, is what Jesus is saying. Fault finders are always gossipers. They're like vultures in the air that live off the dead, rotting flesh And these individuals thrive on the mistakes and sins of others. They fly across the landscape, keeping a close eye on the failures of others. They wake up every morning and they watch the news just to report to the world how horrible the Democrats are and how horrible the Republicans are. They spend all of their time speaking into life in their lane, getting sideways, worrying more about what the former presidents did and the the president did instead of praying for their leaders. They get sideways in their energy in their lanes and they make no forward progress and they tell the world how horrible and they make judgment on people around them that they've never spoken to in a public way. 
Jesus said in Matthew 18, if someone offends you, you go to the person. You don't broadcast it to the world. You see, it's those people who love reposting about people's failures. It drives me absolutely bonkers, but I stay focused and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You feel like calling and letting the world and informing the world all the reasons why they, someone did it wrongly, yet you've never had a conversation with them. If we get so focused on someone else's lane, then we lose sight of our lane and all the ways that we're supposed to run unhindered in this race. And you know what happens? We begin to carry their baggage and their energy and their troubles. And we get ready to run this race and we're so heavy because we're spending all the times looking east and west, west instead of running north. And Jesus said, do not judge one another. All the while, let me tell you what happens. The enemy sits back and he laughs his head off. <laughs> I poked him again this morning. There they are. Look, look at social media. There they go. <laughs> Sideways energy is sinful. This week, again, I just, as I was processing this message and watching what's happening in our world and even close to us, I wrote down these words, and I want you to hear them, and this is where my heart was at this week in regards to the need to broadcast to the world another man's failures. I wrote this, especially when they're a brother or sister in Christ. I put this, and I'll read it to you. My hope is that we as Christians will be the first to offer brothers and sisters in Christ forgiveness, hope, and a restoring spirit when they stumble. And not broadcast their failures to a lost and confused world that already has enough ammunition against us. And is already questioning, why would they join a group of people that tells the world the error in their brother's ways? May we love like Jesus did and extend grace because of the grace that has been offered to us. Help us, Lord Jesus. Help us. Let me ask you a question. How much time do you spend pointing out the faults of someone else. And you love it, and it's juicy, and you send an email, and you put it on a closed Facebook page, and, and you put it on your own, and you retweet, and you requote, and, and you love, and you like, and, and you're excited because this morning you've got new ammunition. Listen, Jesus forbids when we judge one another. And the same way that you're judging someone else is the same way that God will judge you. Jesus had some hard things to say about this. And in fact, look what he says in John chapter 8. Turn to John chapter 8. You think this is bad? Look at John chapter 8. As Jesus brings up a similar subject when someone is found in sin. Look what he says in John chapter 8. These are a story in regards to Jesus and this is his response. Look at John chapter 8 in verse 53. And this is... Then, or 753, then they all went home. In verse 1 of chapter 8 says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts while all the people gathered around him. He sat down to teach him. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman called in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this is the woman that was caught in adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Now, picture for a second this case scenario. They must have been at her house. 
They must have known her journey. They must have investigated and watched and spent time in sideways energy judging her life. So much that they waited until another man came to her house. And they stood outside. And as soon as she was in that act of adultery, they grabbed her. And they pulled her from her home. And they ran her to Jesus. Just picture, if you can, this woman, probably with a sheet over her, embarrassed, standing before her. And now she becomes, stands before the real judge. And they want to call him out. And so they bring him before Jesus, or her before Jesus. And this is what Jesus says. Verse 6, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to do what on the ground? What's it say? With his finger. And so here he is, listen. So he goes down, we don't know. Scripture doesn't say what he, what he wrote. And so we can surmise or try to think what he said. So I just picture him as they're judging her, saying, adultery, adultery, stone her, stone her, Jesus. He just writes down Jim. And he writes the sin that Jim committed. He writes down Kevin. And he writes the sin that he committed. He writes down Carrie. And he writes the sin committed. He writes down the names of all these men. And as they're standing there, can you just see them? They look. And they're still like, but this is worse, Jesus. This is worse. So watch what happens. Because they didn't move, it says this. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is willing who is without sin, to be the first to throw a stone at her. So picture, it says he straightened up. Okay, I can play your game. Let any one of you, without sin, throw the first stone. If you want to play that indignant game, I'll get strong with you. I'll talk your game. And they still stood there. It's like two battering rams ready to go head to head. And then Jesus does this. Again, he stooped down and did what on the ground? Okay. Bob, pornography, 11.30 last night. Peter, cussed out his boss. Steve, said harsh, degrading things to his wife. And the list went on. He got more specific And watch what happens. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. Who went first? The older ones first. Until only Jesus was left with the women still standing there. I find it interesting. It says those that heard. Jesus wasn't even speaking. What was he doing? He was writing. There was a level of conviction that was speaking to them. And the older went first, and then the younger. And then Jesus said, he straightened back up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of what? Sin. Pretty strong. He who has the first stone, throw it. If there's no sin in your life, then you judge. 
And the reason we judge is because we think somehow that it benefits our lane if we bring to awareness to the world all the sins that are happening in the other lanes. And hear me now, it's just sideways running. Drop your eyes. Prepare yourselves for the race. Each morning, as you do and I do, we get up. And I think I have a race to run today. And so each morning, I have some discipline set in place that I spend time with God. I spend time with God, and one of the first things that I do every morning, it's a habit that I've had for a long time, I offer praises to God. First thing I do, Lord, I praise you, Lord, for another day of life. Lord, I praise you for what you did here in our family. God, I praise you for this situation. God, that was a great day yesterday, what you did. I offer praise. The first words out of my mouth as I'm laying in bed when my eyes are awake, I'm just offering praise to God. You know why? Because praise pushes back darkness. <laughs> That's the first thing I do is praise. And then I, I enter into a time of prayer, and then I spend time reading God's word, and then I think about my day. What, what do I need to do for the day? And so I'm equipping myself for the race. I have a race to run today. I want to run in such a way that I can win the prize. So literally, I have a backpack of tools that every day I put on so that I can run the race in a way that brings glory to Jesus. Yet some of us pack our bags with things that drag us down. And what happens is we want to take all this energy that was for us, for our race, and we turn it sideways. And you know what we do? We load up our bags. And we feel like somehow I got to load my bag up with something to tear someone else's race down. And so what we do, we wake up and we run our race because somehow they're getting a little ahead. And we throw a rock at them. Shane, you better wake up. <laughs> and so we, we arm ourselves with rocks every day. We wake up. Oh, look over there. Six lanes over there. Watch what happens. And what happens is there's damage elsewhere. And so we load up our bags and think today is the day to throw a rock at somebody. And Jesus said what? Drop your rocks. Why? So that you can run the race without all the weight and energy and passion spent on judging others. And you can run freely and quickly and cleanly. That's the picture. Let me ask you a question. How much time do you spend throwing rocks? Jesus said, drop the stones. So how do we do that? Like, how do we live this life without tearing down? Like, how do I know what's coming out of my mouth benefits those around me as opposed to tearing them down? There's an acrostic that I use. And I think this might benefit you. I use the word need. N-E-E-E-D. And so then I ask this question when I'm walking in the spirit for the end. Is what I'm saying necessary? Write this down because you'll forget. I know you will. This is a good tool. Is this necessary? Is this necessary to say? Then I ask this question. E, will it encourage others by saying this? By me saying this about someone else, will it encourage them? Is it necessary? Will it encourage? 
The next EI asks this question, will it edify, lift that person up in that other lane? So by me saying this about this person, will it be necessary, will it encourage, and will it edify? And D, I ask this, will it dignify the other person? And if you can run through that acrostic, then you are free to say about that person what God wants you to say. Because you have their best interests in mind. You see, sin in our own lives blurs our ability to see others clearly. Look back at Matthew 7. Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. He says it blurs our ability to see others clearly. Look at verse 3 of chapter 7. Jesus said, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own what? Eye. Verse 4. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own what? Then he says this. Here, this is Jesus. This isn't Jim. You what? Hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The truth is this. that we have some work to do. God never says to ignore the faults of others, but here's what he says. He says to look in the mirror at your own life before you go throwing judgment calls on someone else's life. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. God encourages us through Jesus Christ and his word here to examine our own lives. Look at the own plank that's in your own eye. When you do that, you run differently. Now let me pull away. Suppose you're over in this lane and someone's in that lane and you just keep receiving judging from them. They're, 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 they're judging your motives and it isn't true and, and they're saying things about you that's ungodly and they're making judgment calls on your character that isn't true. And you're getting this barrage of hatred. Always remember this. Never let hate settle in your heart towards that person or group of people that's judging you. Hate is the least satisfying emotion. For it gives the person you hate a double victory. Once in the past and once in the present. Here's what I mean by that. I can tell when someone hasn't moved on. And something that's been done to them. Maybe it's by a former coach. Maybe it's by a former employer. Maybe it's by a former wife or former husband. Or maybe it's by someone that you, that you knew. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a mom or dad. If they keep continually bringing that person up in conversation, then they are still carrying a level of bitterness and resentment in their hearts. And think about this. If you have a habit of regularly thinking about that person, then you still have a level of hate registered against them and a level of unforgiveness that you need to deal with. And if we don't, we will spin our tracks in our lane and we won't make forward progress. Jesus had something else to say to us in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 15. Look what he says in Matthew chapter 6, and we'll look at verses 14 and 15. Jesus said this in regards to 
letting someone go. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also what? Forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive what? Your sins. As costly as it might be for you to forgive, there is one consolation. Unforgiveness costs you more. Because if you and I don't forgive, then Jesus won't forgive you. I want want you to answer this question. What are you harboring? Who are you harboring against? You see, what happens is their hatred. And what you're doing, you're giving them a double victory. The first time they did it to you, and now it's still destroying your race for Jesus. And if you don't forgive them, then Jesus won't forgive you. But if you do forgive and move on, then Jesus forgives you. That's not Jim's words. Those are Jesus' words. Jesus says, get the plank out of your own eye. And when you do, everything else becomes more clear in your life. And you begin to spend less time telling the world all that is wrong with someone or somewhere and run your race to win people to Jesus. So picture, metaphorically, Jesus told this story. He says that those of us who have this plank in our eyes, so just picture, just think, this is how Jesus sees us. If he looked across Grace Community Church right now, what would he see? Boom. Now don't turn left or right. This is the picture. You're ready. Jesus, I'm ready to run the race. Let's go. Get on your mark. Set. Go. You see, he says this. How in the world can you remove the speck from Kevin's eye when you have this plank that's in the way? He says, take this plank, remove this plank so that you can see more clearly. And what happens when you see more clearly? I have a lot of work and surgery to do in my own heart. I don't have time to spend over here in the lane with my friend, with, with those kids in youth group. I don't have time. I have my own. The reality is, for some of us, we've been doing it for so long, and it looks pretty bad. And we've been managing it. Man, like, it's been like 20 years. And we wonder why we're not making any forward traction with Jesus. Like, all right, get all your mark. This thing's heavy. It's a wet, pressure-treated two-by-four. Get set. Go. And you stood in worship today. Praise you, God. <laughs> By your stripes, I'm healed. I love you, Jesus. And Jesus says, remove plank and examine your own heart and say, Spirit, search my heart and see if there is any offensive way in who? Me. You can't run the race with a plank in your eye. You see, pride is often what drives judgment of others. We have a fear, hear me out. We have a fear that someone is getting ahead of us in this race, and even our race. And we want to try our best to slow them down. And the best way we know when we're walking in sin is to keep a close tab on all the faults and lot about someone else. 
And Jesus called us hypocrites. He said, you hypocrite. Yes, you Christ follower are a hypocrite. Pastor Jim didn't say that. Jesus did. He says, when you begin to judge and you constantly take to social media and you constantly tell the world and you can't wake up another day without feeling this hatred towards him, then you are a hypocrite. Hypocrite when you judge. What a terrible word. Wake up, say, hey, tell me about your life. How does Jesus think about you? He thinks I'm a hypocrite. Jesus had something else to say strong about this kind of living. Look at Matthew chapter 23. These were Jesus' words. I told you the message is strong. Sometimes we like to gloss over these, but we're not glossing here at Grace Community. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 27, it says this. Look what it says. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You what? Hypocrites. You're like, what kind of tombs? Whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the what? Dead. And everything what? Unclean. He says, those of us who operate in this fashion that think more highly of ourselves and judge others, he said, you're nothing more than a whitewashed tomb. You think, look at my life, look how good I am, look how great I am, look what I've done. I feel better about myself because, listen, I'm not doing what they do, yet you haven't examined your own heart. And so the truth is, it's like you wake up every morning and you got this tombstone on your head and you're trying to run the race. Like, how can you run a race and pretend that you're a follower of Christ when in reality, God says, you're nothing more than a whitewashed tomb. There is rotten, dead bones below that tombstone. You will never run a race that's marked out for you in the way God wants you to if you spend all of your time judging and comparing and tearing down others. Listen, Jesus says, get rid of the tombs that are covered with whitewash. You are a hypocrite. See, pride causes us to see the lane beside us differently. Pride says, I'm better, you're worse, and I'm gonna tell the world about your sins, and I refuse to ever forgive you. I wanna pull away for a second and talk about pride. Because I think there is a healthy pride that we should have in our relationships with Jesus Christ. And sometimes that word gets bashed by pious men and women who say they, they operate in humility. But there is a healthy pride. We should have a, 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 a part of our lives that we give great praise to God. A healthy pride is not to compare yourself to others, but to compare yourselves against yourself. Let me explain. We can congratulate ourselves, but not at the expense of someone else. God has given us abilities, gifts, and talents. The Holy Spirit motivates us, encourages us, speaks to us to do something. And so if you're doing something, such as yesterday, many of you went out, and we're able to hand out chocolate bars. And for some of you, that was a step of faith. 
to go up to a stranger and hand him a chocolate bar. And many of you had an opportunity to pray with someone, maybe for the very first time. And so even in following and obedience, there should be this sense where you can pull away and you might be on the car home with your family and you say, guess what God did in my life? You know what? I was never able to do this before. But you know what? Yesterday, by his power and his strength, I was able to pray with him. Praise God. That's a healthy pride. I never did that before. So there's this sense where, you see, if we don't offer praise to God for his working in us, then we neglect to exalt the name of Jesus and to give him greater glory. Let me give you a practical way. We enjoy golfing our family. I enjoy golfing. Our boys are good golfers, and Josh and Isaiah are a lot better golfer than, than I am. In fact, Isaiah just got a job this summer. Praise God for this opportunity. It's a pad. He's going to be assistant golf pro at a golf course, so he knows how to play golf much better than I do. But there are times when we play, and if you played, where I might hit a shot, a drive, after it's teed up, and it is like, I say, where did that come from? It's like, it's the best drive. It's got a nice draw on it. It goes farther than it's ever. It has the sound that it, if you ever play golf, there's this sound, you know, you made a, a, a square connection. And it's okay. There are times when I pull away and I th- say to myself, that's pretty good, Jim. I'm not bragging to the world. It's like, wow. I'm not beating myself up. I'm just saying, I used the abilities that were in me and it all came together. And you know what? Thanks, God. That was fun. And even if it was just fun, thanks. That's a healthy pride that we can have. We can congratulate ourselves, but not at the expense of others. We can have healthy, godly pride about ourselves. By the way, sometimes godly confidence gets blasted by people. Yet the reality is, we should be confident in who we are in Jesus, making sure to boast in him. But it's difficult, isn't it? Things, you're in a season where things are going well, whatever that means. And there are seasons where it's not going so well. And so as you walk in the season, someone else might be in the lane that things aren't going so well. And so you gather with them, and if we're not careful, we're hesitant to give glory to God. And here's what I know. The enemy loves when we don't give praise to God. He hates it when we do. And so this voice whispers to you, you can't share that. Because if you share that, that'll hurt them and that'll hurt them. And they'll think this of you. And the Spirit is saying, give praise, make God look greater. Remember early days of ministry and, and I was meeting with our pastors, some precious men that are part of the fellowship of the Heartland District. And, and I was at this meeting and so we were there and that week, by God's grace, we saw like 111 or 115 people get saved, and we saw people get baptized, and it was a real season where God was evidently changing lives. And to be quite frank, I was excited about what God was doing. And I walked into this meeting, and it was low, and it was hard, and there were some challenging things that were shared, and I began to draw away. I wanted to praise God. And my friend and mentor from seminary, Roger Pugh, I met with him for a year, and he poured into me, and taught me so much about godliness and prayer. And he saw me, like he knew me. He's like, Jim, he whispered, what's up? I said, I, I said Roger, man, God's, 
that's not the season we're in, and I'm afraid to share. This is what God is doing, and I don't know if I should. And he looked at me. I'll never forget. He looked at me. He said, Jim, get up on your chair. Stand up on top of the table and praise God. Because praise pushes back darkness. That's a healthy pride. You see, the reality is this. Sinful pride is very obvious. It is when the star is you and not Jesus. It's when the whole world is staring at you and can't see Jesus. And here's what I know to be true. Insecurity breeds sinful pride. And it's often manifested by being quick to point out everything that is wrong in someone and never state what is right or good about you or something. Every opportunity I can, listen, and you can, exalt Jesus Christ. Tell the world what Jesus is doing. You see, C.S. Lewis said this many years ago. He said, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. So he says this in verse 5 of chapter 7. Look back at chapter 7, verse 5. Jesus goes on, and he says, You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Once we've allowed the Holy Spirit to do a painful surgery on us, once we confess our sin and have repented and mourned and grieved over our own sin, only then and only then are we capable of doing any kind of surgery and judgment calls on anyone else. You see, we know when we are no longer hypocrites. Here it is. When our sins will bother us a lot more than the sins of others. And the failures of others won't seem so huge to us. What do I mean by that? Like Paul said, we are a wretched group of people. We are a sinful group of people. I sin even when I don't want to sin. You see, when you begin to examine and do heart surgery and eye surgery on yourself, then and only then can we accomplish what God wants to do in our lives. So how do you do that? Well, I think it's pretty easy. He said, do some surgery. So what do you do? You take that plank and you cut it off. Oh God, please forgive me for that. Oh God, I'm so sorry. Spirit, thanks for bringing to mind that judgment that I have on those people. Oh Lord, that sin in my life. And so literally you cut it off. You do surgery. And then after you've done surgery on your own plank, you know what happens? You begin to love that person. You begin to understand that only by his grace that you're even able to stand here today and run that race. But you know what? Some of us, we're going to be in the surgery room a long time. And God says, you know what you need to do? For some of us, we need to bring the big saws out. And you know what we need to do? We need to do some surgery on us. Because, man, we've been so good at this for a long, for a long time. Listen to me. Man, it smells good up here. 
And don't judge me. Some of us have some surgery that needs to be done, don't we? We spend all of our time sideways, energy, judging, judging, hating, holding bitterness and resentment, letting us get us in the past and get us in the future. And all the while, Jesus is saying, run, run your race. Stay in your lane. So Jesus wraps this up with one verse, a verse that's often mistranslated. I think it has a simple translation. And look what he says. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. What does that have to do with judging one another? What does that mean? Here's what I know. It has a lot more to do with the caregiver than it does the actual pigs and dogs. Jesus is saying this in the race. We are here to win others to him. You won't by showing the world your judgment on them. But we must be careful how we do so. And here's what he says. Don't push the gospel on people in a pushy and sensitive way. Don't press Don't agitate. Here's what he says. Pigs and dogs don't understand the value of the gospel like you do. At this point in their races, they are only here to get what they need to live. They don't see the gospel as a pearl and a treasure that's found in the field. And Jesus says, when you find that treasure, go back and sell everything. That treasure of eternal life. That treasure of Jesus. He says, they don't understand that pearl. So don't, in an insensitive way, throw it out and get mad because they just trample on it. All they're looking for is food. Give them meat. They don't want the gospel yet. Don't let them agitate you. Don't be insensitive to them. And when they fire back and get defensive... Don't let yourself fire back at them. They have no idea how valuable salvation is. Don't throw your pearls insensitively to the pigs. Don't just give evidence of your faith. Don't just give arguments for your faith. They need to see that Jesus is your pearl. And you know how they see it? The way you treat other people. If you're judging, and you're hating, and you're not forgiving, then why would they want your pearl? The world will never be one to Jesus if we don't love one another. You see, some of us don't know how valuable the pearl of Jesus is. Jesus said in a parable, when you find that treasure in the field, go back home, sell everything. Because if you get that treasure in Christ, it's worth more than anything. And don't 
your own pigginess in their lives. Come on. And your life come on full display in such a way that they want to bite back at you. Listen. How will the world ever know that we love God by the way we love one another, not by the way we judge one another? The pearl should have changed our lives, and we should run this race unhindered, all for the glory of Jesus. Lord, help us. God, sometimes we get it all mixed, messed up. We forget what we have in you. We spend so much time in sideways energy, judging and judging and judging. And yet, God, it needs to start with us. We need surgery on our own hearts. I pray, God, that we would drop the judgment of others. I pray, God, that we would run in an unencumbered way, unhinged way, and we would drop our stones and we would release forgiveness to a world that's desperately looking for you. And may we, God, understand how good this pearl is in Jesus Christ. Teach us, Lord. Lord, we need you. I pray, Lord, that we would come to a place, a recognition that we need to surrender our lives to you and that we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.